And here we are. It's a Monday. So much to talk about from the Republican debate. New Hampshire is tomorrow. Plus, Beyonce shakes her ass in racist fashion. Seriously. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Well, this is going to be a slam-packed, jam-packed show. You know, Mathis over here who had to spend the last nine hours cutting audio just so that we could do this show. I know that he's going to be eager for us to get to each and every clip that he cut to justify the amount of sweat equity that he put into this particular episode. And so we will jump right in. We'll start with the Republican debate that happened last Saturday night. First of all, please, all of you people, stop holding debates on Saturday night. You're ruining my weekend. I'm one of the people who has to watch this stuff. I figured and it started like 5.30 or 5 o'clock Pacific time. I thought it started at 6 Pacific time. So Sabbath didn't end until about 6.15, so I couldn't watch TV until then. I flip on the TV. I figure, okay, I've got two hours in front of me. Then the pleasant shock that I'd already missed the first hour, and then it still went on for two hours. So there was just no escape. Well, the, the debate had some real ramifications, but first we'll start off with I've said that this entire Republican race is becoming a circus. It's a complete crap show. It's just it's it's turned into a bunch of monkeys hitting each other with sticks. And ABC News got into the routine through the, the, the at the very beginning. Here is what the beginning of this debate looked like. And it's actually kind of funny. So let's welcome the candidates for the Republican nomination for president. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Looking confused. Why aren't you going out on stage, Doctor? Well, zoom in, zoom out. And he's still not going anywhere. Everybody's confused. What are you doing? Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Oh, no, no, no. He's going to stop. What? No. Do you think he's going? But no, he stopped. Here comes Ted Cruz. Ted's confused. Ted just walked right by him. Ben Carson accuses him of cheating by walking out on stage first. And they're telling him to go, and Ben Carson's just standing there doing nothing. It's like, well, you know, I like it back over Florida here. Senator Marco Trump Rubio. Trump comes over. Trump's confused now. Trump's like, what's going on? And there goes Rubio. Just boom, right through, over the fast lane. Walk, Jeb's in the background being... But Jeb always looks confused. Jeb is just sitting back there looking confused. And now you got three of them Former sitting backstage. Former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. Here comes Jeb. He walks right past him. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are doing. You're just sitting back there doing nothing. And there are Trump and Carson. Just hanging out. Well, well four of the seven the Republicans. He's standing there as well, Dr. Carson. And, they, and they'll introduce them again. And there's Trump, and he's just waiting. He's just standing, just standing, and they still haven't announced cases. we welcome back to the debate stage, Donald Trump. <laughs> For the third time, here comes Trump. Okay. And finally, John Kasich air-chopping his way out. Nobody knows why this is happening this way. Can I introduce so noisy Kasich? in here. Yes, yes. We're going to introduce Ohio Governor John Kasich. Yeah. And here comes John Kasich, descending on a on a rope from the ceiling, fruit ninja style. So finally, they all make it out. And this was only the beginning of the crap show. Folks. This so is where the crap show started. This is not where it ended. So <laughs> disaster area, just to get it started. And yeah, it, this is just highly competent stuff. All right, so the person who was apparently hurt most by the debate, according to most of the media commentators, was Marco Rubio. That's because Marco Rubio has two things going for him. He's very smooth. He's, he's great at rhetoric. And he's supposed to be good on defense. He's supposed to be sort of like Floyd Mayweather boxing. Like not, not a fantastic offensive game, but 
can slip punches really well. Well, he screwed both of those up when Chris Christie body slammed him. And, and you don't want to be pile driven by Chris Christie. Of all the people on stage, that's the last person you want jumping from that third rope down on top of you. And Chris Christie, basically, he attacks Rubio. He says, you're never in the Senate. I don't even know, you know, what, what have you done? What, what do you do for a living, basically? And Marco Rubio ends up repeating the same line three times in the space of 45 seconds as Chris Christie is calling him out for being too robotic. Here is what that looked like. You heard Senator Rubio make the case that he does have the experience. Your response? Sure. Um, first, let's remember something. Every morning when a United States senator wakes up, they think about what kind of speech can I give or what kind of bill can I drop? Every morning when I wake up, I think about what kind of problem do I need to solve for the people who actually elected me? It's a different experience. It's a much different experience. And the fact is, Marco, you shouldn't compare yourself to Joe Biden. And you shouldn't say that that's what we're doing. Here's exactly what we're doing. You have not been involved in a consequential decision where you had to be held accountable. You just simply haven't. And the fact is, the fact is, when you talk about Hezbollah Sanctions Act that you list as one of your accomplishments and just did, you weren't even there to vote for it. That's not leadership, that's truancy. Um, the fact is that what we need to, need to have in this country is not to make the same mistake we made eight years ago. The fact is, it does matter when you have to make decisions to be held accountable for them. It does matter when the challenges don't come on a list of a piece of paper of what to vote yes or no every day. But when the problems come in from the people that you serve, I like Marco Rubio, and he's a smart person and a good guy. But he simply does not have the experience to be president of the United States and make these decisions. We've watched it happen, everybody, for the last seven years. The people of New Hampshire are smart. Do not make the same mistake again. I think the experience is not just what you did, but how it worked out. Under Chris Christie's governorship of New Jersey, they've been downgraded nine times in their credit rating. This country already has a debt problem. We don't need to add to it by electing someone who has experience at running up and, and destroying the credit rating of his state. But I would add this. Let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is trying to change this country. He wants America to become more like the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. And when I'm elected president, this will become, once again, the single greatest nation in the history of the okay, world. Not the disaster, Barack Obama. Okay, so, number one, he starts off, and he actually clocks Christie pretty well with that, with that talk about how Christie is, has spiraled the debt. It's important to mention... Rubio's already said this line once, right? So the, the, the line that he's saying right here, he's already said this about 15 minutes earlier, the thing about Obama knows what he's doing. And it's true Obama knows what he's doing, but it feels scripted, right? So here's where Christie comes back at him, and Rubio just collapses into a sobbing mess. Here we go. Obama has imposed upon us. Senator Rubio, thank you. I do want to bring in Governor Bush on this. Hold because on, because you've second. made this. Excuse me. If you'd like to respond to the economic. I get a chance to respond. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25 second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. See, see, Marco, Marco, the thing is this. When you're president of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, 
The memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. They expect you to plow the snow. They expect you to get the schools open. And when the worst natural disaster in your states hits, they expect you to rebuild their state, which is what I've done. None of that stuff happens on the floor of the United States Senate. It's a fine job. I'm glad you ran for it. But it does not prepare you for president of the United States. Chris. Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. See, Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's the is, reason everybody. why this campaign is so important. Because I think this notion, I, okay, I think this so is an important there, point. And that's, that's when you know, Christie has him on the ropes. And it's and what the, the problem is that, that Christie's using a tactic on him that I've used in debate too, which is he's calling out Rubio's tactic before Rubio actually uses it. So it looks like he's he's been programmed. And it's true. This has always been the rap on Rubio, is that Rubio is shallow, Rubio doesn't have a lot to say, Rubio doesn't have a real fundamental philosophy, and so he he goes to his talking points a lot. There's also something deeper here, which is if you're a conservative and you're thinking there's somebody I don't want pushed around, meaning not just pushed around like somebody's going to make fun of you, but somebody who is, is not going to feel weak when he's hit. This isn't that. right? The, the, the rap on Rubio has always been that in 2012, he went the wrong way on the Gang of Eight amnesty bill. He, he's elected in 2010. In 2012, he goes the wrong way on the Gang of Eight because he's pressured. And then there's pressure from the other side, and he reverses himself and gets off the Gang of Eight immigration bill. And so the idea has always been with Rubio that if you pressure him too hard one way, that he'll tend to collapse. And Christie sort of proved it there. You know, if I push him too hard here, he just goes back to his talking points. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. So I think there's a gap that's actually going to hurt Rubio because it goes to his central flaw, which is that he's too rehearsed. And, and I actually agree that he's too rehearsed. Does that mean that he's the worst candidate in the field? No. Does it mean that he's an irreparably damaged candidate? No. But it does go to the fact that Rubio... And I've always felt this about, about Senator Rubio. He is a beta. He's not an alpha male. Christie's an alpha male. For all the flaws of Christie, which we'll get into in a second, Christie's an alpha male. Rubio's a beta. And going up against Hillary Clinton, I'm not sure that a beta does well. I know people keep saying that Rubio's the most electable. I'm not sure I see it. I'm not sure I see it. He seems like a less edgy version of Mitt Romney to me when I watch him in debate. He's smoother, kinder, less edgy version of Mitt Romney. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to cut it against the most vicious politician of my lifetime other than Barack Obama. Okay, so here's the other problem that I have with these debate formats. They tend to feature moments like the one you just saw, Christie versus Rubio, over the content. So there's one point at which Chris Christie, who was widely considered to have done very well in the debate because he face-planted Rubio, he said something that is so egregiously wrong and nasty that it makes your head kind of swim. So he goes after Rubio on abortion because he says Rubio is too pro-life. Rubio is not in favor of, of abortion exceptions for rape and incest which is a perfectly legitimate position. It's a position that makes logical sense because you can think that rapists ought to be castrated or killed, but that babies are babies and they ought not be killed no matter what the circumstance. It's my opinion on this. And Rubio basically says that. And Christie comes back at him. And what Christie says about abortion is so... I mean, it's, he's been claiming he's pro-life. This is, this is the least pro-life statement you will ever hear from a Republican, Chris Christie. 
I've been pretty helpful to the pro-life cause in one of the most pro-choice states in the union. I stood up for the first time and now for the last six years we've defunded Planned Parenthood, not talked about it like they do in Washington, D.C., but for six years as governor, Planned Parenthood does not receive that funding from the state budget anymore, over $50 million worth of money that's been saved now that is not going to do exactly what Hillary Clinton wants to have done as advocated for. She believes that that organization, which engages in the systematic murder of children in the womb, in order to maximize the value of their body parts for sale on the open market is an acceptable position. Let me tell you something, I don't care whether you're a millennial or whether you're in your 90s, no one, no one is for that type of activity unless you are the most radical type of extremist on this issue, like Senator Clinton and her party is on this issue. And I'll say one other thing. You know, the fact is that I believe that if a woman has been raped, that is a birth and a, and a pregnancy that she should be able to terminate. If she is the victim of incest, this is not a woman's choice. This is a woman being violated. And the fact is that we have always believed, as has Ronald Reagan, that we have self-defense for women who have been raped and impregnated because of it or the subject of incest and been impregnated for it. That woman should not have to deliver that child if they believe that violation is now an act of self-defense by terminating that pregnancy. I mean, that's an amazing statement. Act of self-defense against whom? Not self-defense against the rapist, right? Killing the baby doesn't do anything to the rapist. I believe in the right to self-defense against the rapist. I think the woman should shoot him. But, but as far as the, the, the baby, the idea that it's self-defense against the baby is truly an astonishing statement from a Republican. He skated on this. Nobody notices this. Because when it comes to content at these debates, they matter way less than the optics of the debates. And this is the problem that I have. It's a problem I have with politics. It's not just the debates. It's true for all of politics. President Obama during the Super Bowl, he did an interview before the Super Bowl and after the Super Bowl. He's a celebrity president. This is the culture we've created. But that's a terrible answer and actually a really immoral answer by Governor Christie right there. The idea that you have self-defense rights against a fetus. No, that only applies if the fetus is killing you. Right? That's why I'm for exceptions in case of the, the life of the mother is endangered. Legitimately endangered. Not a health problem, a life problem. Okay, but, but to say that you have self-defense rights against a baby is, is beyond ridiculous. Okay, so one of the things that's happened, you may have noticed, is that as these debates go forward, I become more and more disgusted with everyone, like all of the people. I'm not sure who I'm most disgusted with. So you got Rubio who gaffs. You got Christie who is just a scuzz bucket. I mean, Chris Christie on Sunday, there's now a picture of him hugging Hillary Clinton. They were both on ABC, and I guess they saw each other in the green room, and they were hugging it out because he's a hugger. And then you got Donald Trump. And Trump is going to win New Hampshire tomorrow. He's up by 20 points in the polls, dominating everybody. Here is Donald Trump at the debate. So here is the good of Donald Trump, and then we'll get to the bad of Donald Trump. So the good of Donald Trump, here is Donald Trump on waterboarding. Senator Cruz, thank you. Mr. Trump, you said not only does it work, but that you'd bring it back. Well, I'll tell you what. In the Middle East, we have people chopping the heads off Christians. We have people chopping the heads off many other people. We have things that we have never seen before as a group. We have never seen before what's happening right now. The medieval times, I mean, we studied medieval times. Not since medieval times have people seen what's going on. I would bring back waterboarding, and I'd bring back a hell of a lot worse than waterboarding. Yeah. Mr. Okay. Trump, thank so you. So th this, is, this is what people like about Trump. I, I do have to say, when he says we learned from medieval times, I have a feeling that Donald Trump actually went to the restaurant medieval times and watched the jousting, and that's how he learned about medieval history. But what he says there is basically right. No one in America cares whether we waterboard terrorists. you got to be kidding me. This is a left-talking point that no one cares about. Do whatever you have to do to get the information. And then Trump slams the audience at one point during the debate, and this is also vintage Trump. It's why people like Trump. 
So here's Trump going after the audience when they boo him. A lot of times you'll have you'll have and, and it doesn't work very well. With How that. tough is it a to lot take of times property from an elderly talk, woman? Let me talk quiet. How tough a lot is of it? times. <laughs> every debate, man. Every single debate. That's all of his donors and special interests out there. <laughs> so, that's what it is. That's what. And by the way, let me just tell you, we needed tickets. You can't get them. You know who has the tickets for the? I'm talking about to the television audience, donors, special interests, the people that are putting up the money. Who it is? The RNC told us we have all donors in the audience, and the reason they're not loving me, the reason they're not, excuse me, the reason they're not loving me is I don't want their money. I'm going to do the right thing for the American public. I don't want their money. I don't need their money. And I'm the only one up here that can say that. Okay, that's actually Donald Trump's best line of the debate, and it's very effective because he is very wealthy. Now, Donald Trump also has spent the weekend saying he agrees with Bernie Sanders on trade, that he doesn't want to increase the defense budget that he wants to move left on a, a variety of issues. He, he's moving pretty significantly to the left now, and there's a good shot that if he wins New Hampshire, the establishment moves behind him just because they have no other options. So what, what you just saw is the good side of Trump. Here is the bad side of Trump. Here is Donald Trump on making deals, why, why, we, why we're supposed to trust him that he can make good deals. What would you say to those conservatives who are concerned that a dealmaker will just perpetuate the same deals in Washington and the way that things run now. How do you disturb no, that? No, a point? good deal maker will make great deals, but will do it the way our founders thought it should be done. Oh. People get together, they make deals. Oh, Ronald okay. Reagan did it with Tip O'Neill very successfully. You didn't hear so much about executive orders if you heard about it at all. You have to be able to get a consensus. Now, the real person, like it was mentioned about the deal with Iran. How bad a deal is that? It doesn't get any more amateurish than that. A good dealmaker would never make a deal like that. With Congress, you have to get everybody in a room, and you have to get them to agree. But you have to get them to agree what you want, and that's part of being... You can't leave the White House, go to Hawaii and play golf for three weeks and be a real dealmaker. It doesn't work that way. You have to get people in, grab them, hug them, kiss them, and get the deal done. But right. it's got to be the deal that you want. That's also Bill Clinton's strategy for dating. That's the, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing stuff. So Donald Trump, again, highly specific in his prescriptions as to how he's going to do good deals. Hugging, kissing, touching of appropriate or inappropriate nature, all included in that. Folks, Donald Trump is a loud, but here's the thing. Donald Trump is a loudmouth. He's a bloviating blowhard, all these things, right? He's, he's not even a conservative. But Donald Trump who is, is who Donald Trump is. And what's happening over the course of these debates is that Trump is actually getting stronger because Trump is who Trump is. Rubio is being unmasked as a guy who's on the talking points all the time. Jeb was unmasked very early as a weakling. Chris Christie's being unmasked as a liar on his own policies. And then the, the, the thing that I think has been most damaging is the guy who I like the best in this race, Ted Cruz. Ben Carson has done something to Ted Cruz that is really quite disreputable. So we talked about it last week, okay? Ben Carson told CNN he was going on break, that he was going to go back to Florida to pick up shirts or something, and he was not going to go to South Carolina or New Hampshire before South Carolina and New Hampshire. He was just going to go back to Washington, D.C. CNN played the tape, and they said that on the tape of CNN, they talk about this is very important. It obviously signifies that something big is happening. You know, if you want to win, you don't do this. In other words, the campaign is basically over. The Cruz campaign let all of their precinct captains know that Carson was taking a break from campaigning and to let people know that Carson was basically out, shift your votes to Cruz. 
Carson then came back and he said, no, 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 I'm not out. I'm not out. And CNN tweeted that, but they didn't say it on the air until past nine o'clock Eastern time. In any case, Carson effectively is out of the race and he has been out of the race for since before Iowa. He fired half his staff the week after Iowa. But Carson won't let this go. And this is the part that I don't like. So Ben Carson, I think, has gone this far in the Republican race because people believe that he's a good man, an honest man. They believe he's a religious, honest, good man. And so when he uses the power of his character and he puts it up against somebody else's character, people tend to believe Ben Carson, even though I think that what Carson's doing here is actually pretty cynical. And this is just because I'm a political insider in the sense that I know what people in politics do. I know how campaigns work. Ben Carson has raised more money than virtually every other candidate on the grassroots level. He's raised a lot of money from the grassroots. He has a massive, incredibly large email list. He's cutting down his staff so that he can use that email list to draw money to his campaign, to continue growing the email list, to continue drawing money to his campaign, to can continue growing the email list. When this campaign is all over, he owns the email list. right? Whatever, whoever he's working with, they own the email list. And he can use that email list to push his policies or to advertise. And so he's staying in the race beyond when his campaign is viable. His campaign is no longer viable, but he's using this cruise controversy in order to propel himself forward in the campaign, even though he has no shot at victory. But he can do cruise heavy damage because the, the rip on Cruz has always been that Cruz is manipulative. He'll do anything to get ahead. And Carson basically face planted him on this on Saturday night, made Cruz look very bad, even though Cruz actually says only things that are true here. CNN protested, but, but Cruz is saying only things that are true. Here's Cruz versus Carson. Well, you know, when I wasn't uh, introduced number two as was the plan, I thought maybe he thought I already had dropped out. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, today is the 105th anniversary or um, 105th birthday of Ronald Reagan. His 11th commandment was not to speak ill of another Republican. So I'm not going to use this opportunity to savage the reputation of Senator Cruz. But I will say, I, I will say, well, you a little bit. I will say that I was very disappointed uh, that members of his team thought so little of me, that they thought that after having hundreds, if not thousands of volunteers and college students who sacrificed their time <laughs> and were dedicated to the cause, one even died to think that I would just walk away 10 minutes before the caucus and say, forget about you guys. I mean, who would do something like that? Now, I don't think anyone on this stage would do something like that. And to assume that someone would, uh, what does that tell you? So, unfortunately, it did happen. It gives us a very good example of certain types of Washington ethics. Washington ethics basically says, if it's legal, you do what you need to do in order to win. That's not my ethics. My ethics is you do what's right. Okay, so, he, so he cites Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment. He says he cites Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment, don't attack other Republicans. And I won't savage the character of the man standing next to me. But what a douchebag. I mean, look at this guy. It was liar, cheater. What a terrible guy. This actually damages Cruz because the widespread perception of Cruz is that Cruz is willing to say anything to get ahead. So if you look at this stage, I mean, we've got the, the, the photo here, right, of the, the still. So you've got Chris Christie, right? Chris Christie's a liar. You've got Ben Carson. Carson's done, but he's, his campaign is, is the walking dead. It's just the dead man walking. you got Ted Cruz, who just got savaged by Carson. you got Donald Trump in the middle there, looking tall and big. 
You got Marco Rubio, who just got his butt handed to him by Chris Christie. You got Jeb, who's been toast for a long time. And you got John Kasich, who's standing off to the side fruit chopping things. So the only person on the stage who didn't get attacked, really, there are only two people on the stage who really escaped attack on Saturday night. John Kasich, who will probably finish second in New Hampshire, and Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, right? So Donald Trump continues to slide, just sliding along the, the surface of life, skimming along the surface of life. So here's what's going to happen tomorrow. In all likelihood, Trump wins big. After Trump, it's anybody's ballgame. They're basically a bunch of polls that show a bunch of people all together, everybody on the, on the left-hand side of the stage. So Cruz, Rubio, Bush, and Kasich are all bunched together at 10 to 12%. So it could be any of those people coming in second or third. If Rubio really gets clocked and finishes fourth, he's got a real problem on his hands. He may be done. If Jeb finishes third, Jeb could be back in it because the establishment is looking for a guy. So tomorrow means an awful lot in terms of where we end up in this race. All of that said, all of this is really disappointing because how much time actually got spent talking about important policies, how much time actually got spent talking about Hillary Clinton and what Democrats are doing? Very little, very little. Most of it was spent savaging each other and, uh, and savaging each other in the, in the least productive ways possible. After the debate, by the way, the, the ridiculousness continued. Marco Rubio tried to explain away. This is the other problem Rubio has. Every time he tries to explain something away, it gets worse. He's sort of like the kid who stole the cookie from the cookie jar. And you say, well, what did you do? Instead of just saying, well, I stole the cookie. Oh, well, you know, the dog ate it. He said, we don't have a dog. Well, the dog next door, well, that dog died. Mm-hmm. So he, like, he, just, he just digs himself deeper and deeper. So George Stephanopoulos, who, by, by the way, why does any Republican do an interview with George Stephanopoulos? George Stephanopoulos literally said, I love you, Hillary Clinton. He literally said those words, making him the only human being in existence ever to have said that. Okay, and he is sitting across from Marco Rubio, interviewing him like he's an objective journalist, looking like the overgrown Keebler elf here. And so, and, and Rubio, you're going to hear, he, he doubles down on the why I repeated myself routine. Here we go. Senator Marco Rubio joins us live right now. What went well, wrong? Well, actually, I, I would pay them to keep running that qu- clip because that's what I believe I don't, passionately. Okay. It's one of the reasons why I'm not running for re-election to the Senate okay. and I'm running for president. This notion and this idea that somehow all oh, this is an accident, brought, uh, Obamacare was not an accident. Dodd-Frank was not an accident. The deal with Iran was not but an accident. But you're getting pounded for repeating that speech. Well, look, we raised more money last night in the first hour of that debate than any other debate. As far as that message, I hope they keep running it, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. Barack Obama, yes, has he hired incompetent people to implement laws and run agencies? Absolutely. But when it comes to the, what he's trying to do to America, it's part of a plan. But even he, after... he has said he wanted to change the country. He's doing it in a way that is robbing us of everything that makes us special. I'm going to keep saying that because that not only is it the truth, it is at the core of our campaign. But even after Chris Christie called you up for what he called canned speeches, 25-second canned speeches, you repeated again. He says, there you go again. That was not a good moment for you, was it? It's what I believe, and it's what I'm going to continue to say because it happens to be one of the main reasons why I am running. I, this is a great okay, double history down. of mankind. Okay, so he keeps because... saying this, and then he's going to go back into it again. Okay, so... So it's just none of this is really good for Marco Rubio. There's not really a good answer is the truth. Once you've been called out like that, you may as well just say, I flubbed it. You know, it's over. The, you know, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have. But I guess the rule is you never apologize and you never compromise. So, it, again, all of this just makes Republicans look bad. What's amazing about this is on the other side of the aisle is the weakest Democratic candidate that maybe I have ever seen. Hillary Clinton, if you remember back to last Thursday night, last Thursday night there was a debate between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. We didn't really get a chance to comment on it because we don't do the podcast on Fridays. Don't worry, I get a lot of questions about this. We will be doing a podcast on Fridays very soon. It'll be a crossover podcast, so it will be me and Clavin, and we will chat 
about things. He'll be an optimist. I'll be a pessimist. He'll be wrong and I'll be right because pessimism is always right. And anyway, on, on Thursday night, this is what Hillary Clinton, she was asked about her Goldman Sachs speeches. She gave speeches worth $675,000 to Goldman Sachs, and she has transcripts of those speeches. It turns out she, in her contract, requires there be a transcriptionist, a stenographer there, to actually write down everything that she says. And she has all the rights to those transcripts. And she was asked about this during the debate, and here's what she said. Are you willing to release the transcripts of all your paid speeches? We do know through reporting that there were transcription services for all of those paid speeches. In, the, in full disclosure, would you release all of them? I will look into it. I don't know the status, but I will certainly look into it. But I can only repeat what is the fact that I spoke to a lot of different groups with a lot of different constituents, a lot of different kinds of members about issues that had to do with world affairs. I probably described more times than I can remember how stressful it was advising the president about going after bin Laden. Oh, my God. Um, so my, my view on this is look at my record. Okay, you can pause look it there. So, what so I am Hillary does this. So Hillary says, I'll look into it, and then she cites bin Laden. It's amazing what Democrats can get away with, right? Giuliani got run off the rails in 2008 because people kept, said he kept citing 9-11 because he was the mayor on 9-11. Hillary Clinton had nothing to do, nothing to do with any of this stuff. 9-11, bin Laden, she cites it all the time all the time for no reason. But she says, yeah, I'll look into releasing those transcripts. Well, yesterday she was asked about releasing the transcripts again. This is clip 13. And what she said about releasing the transcripts was this to her good. Again, George Stephanopoulos is interviewing her. How is this legal, for God's sake? I mean, I understand it's legal. We have a First Amendment. How does anyone? It's amazing to me. He can interview her. They were basically making love on the backstage in 1992 after she after her husband was elected president. And now he's interviewing her like he's an objective journalist, one-on-one. -on -one. It's unbelievable. Anyway, here is Hillary Clinton. She says, remember she said, I'll look into it. Here's what looking into it constituted for Hillary Clinton. Here we go. In the debate the other night, you said you'd look into whether or not to release the transcripts of your speeches to financial groups. Have you made up your mind? Yeah, you know, here's another thing I want to say. Let everybody who's ever given a speech to any private uh, group under any circumstances release them. We'll all release them at the same time. You know... I don't mind being uh, the, uh, you know, the subject in the Republican debates, the subject in the Democratic primary. That kind of goes with the territory. I've been around long enough. But at some point, you know, these rules need to apply to everybody. And there are a <laughs> bunch of folks, including, you know, my opponent <laughs> who's given, you know, speeches. Okay, uh, we can pause it there. So Jeb's given speeches. Everybody has to be held accountable to the same rules. First of all, Hillary always has her own set of rules. She had her own private server. She's a criminal. She's a felon. Okay, and she's going to get away with it because she's Hillary Clinton. The fact is no one's asked for Jeb's speeches because no one cares what Jeb said at any point in his life. No one cares. Hillary's going to be the nominee, and Hillary was speaking to Wall Street, and she's the one who mandated there be transcripts. She's a terrible candidate. She's a terrible candidate because a good candidate would say, sure, I'll just release him. Right, why not? What are you going to find in there that I have? If she has nothing to hide... And she has nothing to hide. By the way, why can't they? They can probably just go ask the people at Goldman Sachs what exactly Hillary Clinton said to them. This will come out sooner or later. She's trying to hide it because this is her nature. She is Nixonian. She has to hide everything. And when she is targeted, in 1960, Richard Nixon said, you know, they're not going to have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. And in 1958, he gave the Checkers speech where he basically said, you know, everybody is coming after me and my little dog Checkers over here. She is Richard Nixon. And so she says, not only do the rules not apply to her, that she's special. The only reason people are mean to her is because she's a woman. 
So back at the in the debate on Thursday night, she was asked about whether she was a member of the Democratic establishment. There is no person on earth who is more a member of the Democratic establishment than Hillary Clinton. She is the definition of establishment. The Clintons run the Democratic Party, and they have for two decades. And here's Hillary Clinton saying she can't be establishment because she has a vagina. Here we go. But that said, do you think that do you think that the coverage of you is sexist? Do you think that when male pundits say things like that, they have a different standard for you? And I don't want to single anybody out, Jake. I look, we are still living with a double standard, and I know it. Every every woman I know knows it. Uh, whether you're in the media as a woman, or you're in the professions, or business, or politics, um, and I don't know anything other to do than just keep forging through it and just taking the slings a, and arrows that come with being a woman. What a tough yeah. life she leads. You know, sometimes I talk soft, sometimes I get passionate, and I get a little bit uh, excited. I don't know any man who doesn't do the same thing. And I find it sort of interesting that uh, all of a sudden this is a big discussion about me once again. I'm so used to this. I'm going to keep making my case. Okay, I'm going to keep talking up. about okay, what okay. I will do as president. I'm going to. Okay, lady, quiet it down. Uh, so, the, so the, the, everybody's a sexist who who says that she should stop screaming during her speeches because it's shrill and annoying, which it is. And everybody's only attacking her because she's a woman, right? Everybody. So, what does she do to to push this meme forward? That that she's 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 pushing this. You remember back in 2008, she did the same thing in New Hampshire. She cried. She brought up the tears in 2008 so that she could stay competitive because it looked like Obama might beat her in New Hampshire. So Hillary Clinton now, she's saying that the, the only reason people are targeting her is not because she's deeply corrupt, not because she's secretive, not because she's shrill, not because she's grating, not because she's annoying, but because she's just the same as everybody else, but she's a woman. She's, it's, it's funny, you know, when we say shrill, there are certain female candidates we've never called shrill. Dianne Feinstein, for example, is not shrill. Dianne Feinstein's terrible. She's a senator from California. She's my senator. Dan Feinstein's awful. She's not shrill. Hillary Clinton is shrill. Shrill has a meaning. And in the dictionary, under that word, is a picture of Hillary Clinton. And we're supposed to pretend that it's all because she's a woman. It's getting so bad. How bad is her campaign? Her campaign is so bad that she's now trotting out 97-year-old Bill Clinton, who looks more and more like Hugh Hefner every day, just in terms of, like, doddering around in her bathrobe, mumbling to himself and grabbing his genitals. Bill... She's trotting him out on the campaign trail to call Bernie Sanders a sexist. Okay, so here's Bill Clinton saying that Bernie Sanders is a sexist. And, I mean, Bill looks two steps away from death. I mean, he, he really looks terrible, really awful. For people who can't see this, he looks like Bill Murray when Bill Murray makes himself up like a zombie in, uh, in Zombieland. Here, here, is, here is Bill Clinton. Former President Bill Clinton unleashing a blistering no-holds-barred attack on his wife's rival, Bernie Sanders going after Sanders' health care plan. Is it good for America? I don't think so. Is it good for New Hampshire? I don't think so. Labeling Sanders as dishonest and hypocritical in his criticism of the financial sector he so often rails against. Anybody who takes money from Goldman Sachs couldn't possibly be president. He may have to tweak that answer a little bit. Either that or we're going to have to get us a write-in candidate. The former president's words were stinging, blasting the Vermont senator and his supporters for what he called inaccurate and sexist attacks. <laughs> including Bernie Bros, the mobs of Sanders supporters who use crude language to attack Hillary Clinton backers online. People who have gone on the online to defend Hillary and explain, just explain why they supported her, have been subject to attacks that are literally too profane often, not to mention sexist, 
to repeat. Sanders disavowing such tactics. You know, that, that anybody who is supporting me is doing sexist things is, we don't want them. I don't want them. Okay, stop it right there. Uh, that is not Somebody should ask Bill Clinton is. if those tactics include holding a woman down on a bed and raping her. Okay, or if those tactics include sequestering a woman off the side of the Oval Office and sexually abusing her, as he did to Kathleen Willey. Or whether those tactics include, whether those tactics include having your wife intimidate your rape victims, like Juanita Broderick. My goodness, what a terrible candidate Hillary is. And anybody with, I mean, if Bernie Sanders had a set on him, he would actually say this. Right, Bernie Sanders is, is a, he's trying to run the, the all-positive campaign, but it would behoove him at some point to mention the fact that Bill Clinton is not exactly a warrior for women. He's a warrior against women. So what, this is what's frustrating to me about the whole Republican primary process. With every debate, all of the Republicans tear away at each other like, like vultures tearing away flesh, and the Democrats keep building each other up even though they're all incredibly weak, even though they're all incredibly weak. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. The things I hate will be the Super Bowl edition things I hate. So with all of that, all that that implies things I like, I'm in the middle of a movie called Black Mass with Johnny Depp. Haven't seen the rest of it yet. About halfway through. So far, so good. All right. Things I hate. <laughs> all right. So I watched the Super Bowl yesterday. My dad and I usually get together every year and, and watch the Super Bowl. And uh, and so all I want when I watch the Super Bowl is to watch the football. You know, I, I watch the commercials because this has become sort of a cultural totem. It's become a cultural hallmark. Everybody wants to watch the commercials. And that's fine. That's great. Except I have to say the commercials have been steadily in my lifetime getting worse and worse. I mean, the commercials are basically all just sex jokes and monkeys and pets. It's like, ooh, people like monkeys. Let's put that in a commercial. Well, what about what about babies? People like babies, too. Let's put that in. How about we'll have a monkey baby dog, which they actually did in a commercial yesterday. So the commercials were really quite terrible. But what I really, really hate, what I really hate is that the left has decided that every cultural event has to now be dominated by leftism. All of them. They have to be dominated by leftism. So imagine, for example, that you had a Super Bowl and it took place in Texas and there was a country singer and the country singer surrounded himself during the Super Bowl halftime show with a bunch of kids who are holding Bibles and a bunch of women who are holding crosses. Imagine if, if we did that. And, and let's say that, you know, for example, there's a bunch of white people and they're also twirling rifles, right? Like we do sometimes at parades. Wouldn't do you think that the media would have a field day with that? Oh, you bet the media would have a field day. So alienating, so terrible, so non-inclusive. Beyonce, who is now married to Jay-Z and can do no wrong, she, her, she, she farts social justice rainbows. But Beyonce is considered this wildly talented, massive talent, just a, a joy to behold, a real addition to God's earth. Okay, Beyonce actually has a really good voice, or used to. I don't know if it's good anymore because she hasn't sung in five years. So Beyonce now has been relegated to shaking her boobs, shaking her ass, and racial commentary. That's basically what, what her, her stunt is now. Ever since she married Jay-Z, who, by the way, is a jerk also. Jay-Z wears a medallion called the, for, for what is called the 5% Nation. The 5% Nation believes that black people are superior to white people. And that's their actual literal belief. Um, and so Beyonce does her halftime show. Now, I'm going to watch a little bit of the Beyonce halftime show. First of all, I want to point out, everybody who says Beyonce is a magnificent dancer... No, she just looks like her ass is having a seizure. But she says that yeah, everybody who acts like this is not a stare, okay? It is not Gene Kelly. Let's stop her. She, she's not. She, she's not, you know, a, a Russian ballet dancer. She, she's a lady who's twerking. She, she's like one step above Miley Cyrus. But putting aside the artistic commentary here, because her music, like lately, her music is garbage also. So her dancing is basically just how much can she jiggle 
And her music is how much can she get away with. Here was what happened at the Beyonce halftime show. Let's play it. First of all, I don't know why Joe Pesci is there. What great dancing. You just might be a black Bill Gates in the making. Okay, so we don't have to watch the rest of this. You get the idea. The women who are dancing behind her. Uh, it, you, you can freeze frame it. They're all wearing Black Panthers outfits. They're wearing the Black Panthers berets. They all have their hairs froed, uh, their their hair froed out. There are no white women in this in this entourage. They're all black, right? There are zero. Remember Oscars so black. Beyonce halftime or Oscars so white. Beyonce halftime show so black, right? There are no white people in this. And, and at a certain point here, they actually form an X on the field, like Malcolm X, right? Is the idea here, and uh, and. There, and later, all the women took a picture. Somewhere in here, they all go like this. They give the black power salute. And later on, they give a black power salute again. And her mom shows up to give the black power salute. The lyrics that she's saying, in case you can't understand what she's saying, because why would you? The lyrics to her song go like this. My daddy, Alabama, mama, Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a, tenexus, make a Texas Bama. I like my baby hair with baby hair and afros. I like my Negro nose with Jackson 5 nostrils. Okay, so you've got a bunch of racial stereotypes. I didn't realize that Negro was back in style, but I guess that you can get away with that if you're Beyonce. And then the rest of the song goes like this. I did not come to play with you, hoes, haha. I came to slay, bitch. I like cornbreads and collard greens, bitch. El Camino with the seat low. Sipping Cuervo with no chaser. Sometimes I go off, I go off, I go hard, I go hard. When he F me good, I take his ass to Red Lobster, cause I slay. If he hit it right, I might take him on a flight on my chopper, cause I slay. You might just be a bill, a black Bill Gates in the making, cause I slay. Okay, so the re- so if there is a smart black kid who goes to school, is highly educated, and creates a massive company, it's because of Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Also, there's nothing I like better than a bunch of anti-black stereotypes being put out there by black people. That's always great. I'm sorry, but if a white person said about a bunch of black people that what makes you black is that when you get screwed good, you take your ass to Red Lobster... Everybody would realize just how racist and terrible that is. But Beyonce gets to say it because the rules don't apply. And again, the Black Panthers were a terrorist group, okay? If you had a white terrorist group that were being honored, you had a bunch of people in white sheets out there in the middle of the Super Bowl, everybody would realize how disgusting this is. By the way, Cosmopolitan calls this garbage piece of of non-music the most perfect song since the Paleozoic era. Somebody should note to them the Paleozoic era was not really remnant. It's not respected for its tunefulness, the Paleozoic era. Um, but the the music video for this is even worse. I mean, if you actually look at the music video that this is based on, in the music video, the, there's a line of white cops standing by as a black teenager walks up to them, and then there's a wall with graffiti that says, stop shooting us. Let me ask you, if, if, if she really thinks that this is going to make any black kid in America better off, what black kid in America is, is better off because of this? What black kid isn't going to get shot in the inner city because of this? What black kid is going to get an education because of this? She's just making millions off of a, off of a stereotypical depiction of a really negative and nasty culture. Malcolm X was a pig. Okay, Malcolm X, until he had his Islamic, his Islamic revelation at the end of his life and realized basically everything he'd been saying was wrong, 
Malcolm X was a garbage heap of humanity. He was a bad guy, Malcolm X. Martin Luther King at least promoted good things. He had his own personal foibles, but he promoted good things. Malcolm X is the guy who used to call white people white devils. And so uh, paying homage to him during the Super Bowl, right? This is, the, this is the most watched event in America every year. This is where we have come racially. The post-racial era isn't the post-racial era. It's the post-decency era. And Beyonce leads the way. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that. There were some Super Bowl commercials. This took place in San Francisco. So Coldplay showed up um, for no reason. No one likes Coldplay. But Coldplay showed up and sang about same-sex marriage. And then they handed people rainbow placards to hold up in the stands. And then it said, believe in love. Believe in love. Like that means anything. And they, they don't believe in love for the Christian people who don't feel like participating in their gay weddings. And they, they don't feel like love for all of, the, all of the children who will grow up without a mother or without a father. Right? They don't believe in that, but all of this is just the, the cultural rot that has, has set upon us. The Super Bowl commercials were another reflection of that. So let's take a look at the Axe did a, a commercial. And edgy is what makes people remember you, apparently, in the advertising business. Here's the Axe commercial that ran, and you will see how ridiculous this is. Here we go. Come on. A six-pack? Who needs a six-pack when you got the nose? Or a nose when you got the suit? Now you don't need a suit when you got the fire. Or fire when you rock those heels. Or when you got the brains. The haw. Who needs some other thing when you got your thing? Now work on it. Okay, and... Uh... They, they cut out one frame for the Super Bowl that, that was online where there's a woman leaning back in bed because she's having sex, presumably at the hands of one of these guys, not the guy wearing the high heels, I would assume. So the idea here is that individuality trumps all, individuality trumps find your magic. Well, I mean, there are standards of behavior also, and, and I'm not sure why it's appropriate on national television to show someone grooming their genitals, which I assume is when they say find your thing and then they have a shot of a sink low down at like waist level. Kind of weird, kind of gross, but this is how we dumb down the culture, and this is how we mainstream the ridiculous. Okay, the, the idea that how many millions, there are probably 250 million people who watch this thing. How many millions of those people are men who prance around wearing high heels? How many? But the, all of this is so X can pat itself on the back for being socially justice-oriented. This is the idea is it's virtue signaling we're better people, we're great people. How do you know we're great people? Because we put a dude in high heels. That's how you know. That were great people. So that wasn't even the worst commercial. There are a bunch of them that were truly terrible. The Mini Cooper commercial was ridiculous, so let's try that one. This is a chick car. This is a gay car. This is a short man's car. This is a cute car. Slow car. This is a single young professional car. This car has no street cred. This car ain't hip hop. Kidless. Cute. Small. This car doesn't care what you call it. Defy labels. This is what America has become. Find your magic. Defy labels. Is there any commercial anywhere in here that says, like, be a responsible human? <laughs> Find your magic. What if my magic is, is something terrible? What if I'm defying labels and those labels actually exist for a reason? First of all, also, also a point, you know, you get a Harvey Keitel at the end. Oh, this car doesn't care what you think. Right, it's an inanimate object. Mm-hmm, it's true. Also, the people at Mini Cooper don't care. They're just trying to sell you a car. But, but the idea is that we're supposed to feel good about them because of the social justice signaling. And this is what the advertising business does. They push this idea that if you look at that, 
and you have a negative feeling about that commercial, if you feel like this is ridiculous, I just want to buy a car, show me what the car does, that must be because you're a bad person. You're not tolerant of everybody. The idea is to morally shame you into liking this car. Right? That car, that, that told me nothing about the car. I may still think that that car is a ridiculous feminine, feminine little junk car, right? I mean, I can still think all those things. But now if I think that, I'm a sexist. Aha. It means that I'm anti-gay if I don't like the Mini Cooper. And if I don't use the axe, it means that I'm, I'm transphobic. Right? That's the idea behind these commercials. All this is subtle emotional button pushing that, that the left does in order to push a particular agenda. They're trying to morally shame you. They think America has reached the point where if you don't really like watching guys prancing around in heels and their underwear on national television, they think America has reached the point where they can be shamed about that. I don't think that's the case. The other commercial that got a lot of attention was Amy Schumer and Seth Rogen were in a commercial together. Uh, and two unfunny, supposed funny people of the left doing a commercial that is unfunny. Here we go. My fellow Americans. Hey, guys, can you be quiet? Seth and Amy are talking about our country. They say we're a nation divided. They say we disagree on everything. That's not true. We agree on a lot. Like Paul Rudd. Everybody loves Paul Rudd. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to happen. You know what else everyone loves? Emojis. No, farmer. Raccoons. No, beer. Beer. Nothing brings America together like Bud Light. That's why we're forming the Bud Light Party. Just wait till you see our caucus. We got the biggest caucus in the country. But it's not like too big. Like, you can handle it. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. Are you just quoting Independence Day? Yeah, I'm really inspired right now. America has seen the light. And there's a butt in front of it. Wow, Amy Schumer got her real opportunity to make a dick joke. Just good for her. You know, she's been, she's been, that's I think the real shortcoming in her career is not enough penis jokes. That, that's really where it was. You know, she, if she had ever gotten to make, there it is. She got her opportunity on national TV to make a penis joke. If it hadn't been for that, she never would have gotten to make a penis joke. It's just this, again, the dumbing down of the call. It's not just the dumbing down. It's the vulgarization. Of, like my two-year-old's watching this. And they're making cock kiss jokes, right? They're making, they're making penis jokes on national TV. It's just, it, it really, it's sad. This is something that should unify us. Shouldn't we at least, like, and then they put the Blue Angels flyover in the middle of all of this. It's just, I'm sorry. American culture is not a bunch of jokes and the Blue Angels. Okay, it turns out there's more to America than this. There's more to America than Beyonce prancing around in her underwear with a bunch of Malcolm X dressed idiots. There's more to American culture than a bunch of people holding up rainbow placards to imitate President Obama's White House. Turns out America's actually based on a philosophy. But you won't see any of that. So that's fine. If you don't want to do philosophy at the Super Bowl, I'm cool with that. But then don't do a philosophy. Don't give me a philosophy of leftism when I'm just trying to watch a damn ball game. I don't need it. I don't need it. Perhaps the most amazing thing of all, though, was there's a Doritos commercial. And, uh, and here's the Doritos commercial that's become so controversial with the left. There's only one controversial commercial for the left. There's all these commercials I just showed you that are real lefty commercials, right? Amy Schumer and Seth Rogen are about as left as it's possible to be. The, the Axe commercial is ridiculous. The Mini Cooper commercial is, is silly. And here is the one that really ticked off the left. You ready? This ticked off the left. Here we go. And there's your beautiful baby. Any day now. Really? You're eating Doritos? He's eating Doritos on my ultrasound. Do you see what I have to do? I know. 
Okay, so the commercial for people who can't see it is there's a baby inside an ultrasound. You know, it's a mom and a dad, and they're showing an ultrasound of the baby. And every time the dad bites on a Dorito or moves the Dorito, the baby attempts to grab the Dorito, basically, from inside the womb. And then at the very end, the mom throws the Dorito down by her feet, and the baby attempts to get out using the only possible escape route. Okay, so that's, that's the commercial. The left went bananas over this commercial. Why, you ask? Would the left go crazy over this commercial? Well, why don't we let NARAL, Pro-Choice America, explain. Here's the tweet from NARAL, Pro-Choice America, if we have that. Hashtag, not buying it. That's a Rito's ad using anti-choice tactic of humanizing fetuses. Humanizing fetuses, right? Because they're chickens, actually. And that, by the way, that's like a nine-month fetus, right? They're showing there. That's a nine-month baby. How, how dare that Doritos ad show what an ultrasound actually looks like? And by the way, that's what a late-term ultrasound actually looks like. In fact, that's what a mid-term ultrasound looks like. My wife had an ultrasound the other day. That's what the baby looks like. You can see the baby in there. I saw the baby's spine. I saw the baby's face. I saw all of the baby's gears. You know, like uh, everything you can see. But don't humanize. Whatever you do, don't humanize that fetus. So people on the right say, look, I just want to watch a ball game without being hit over the head with some guy wearing high heels. I just want to watch the ball game without being hit with, if you don't buy this car, you must hate gay people. That's all I want. I don't, I don't need to watch the halftime show and be smacked with a bunch of people who killed cops back in the 70s in homage to those people. The left says, I don't want to be watching a ball game and see like an ultrasound that shows like what an ultrasound actually looks like. I don't want to see that. That's crazy. Okay, every, every one of these commercials, by the way, like all the Super Bowl commercials had humanizing of animals. They're, like, every one of them had some sort of talking dog or chipmunk or penguin or something. Narol doesn't care about that, obviously. They only care about when you humanize something that's actually human, which shows you how evil and despicable they are. So that's the difference between left and right. But the left is all mad today about what an ultrasound actually looks like, and the right is upset today because the biggest game in America, the, big, the most watched TV event in the United States, maybe in history, is, is replete with leftist imagery. And just to top it off, President Obama and wife did their Super Bowl interview. They do it every year. This year it was Gail King, who's only famous for being this, for being Oprah's significant other. And here is here is the the Obamas being interviewed by Gail King on ABC beforehand. I hate this so much. I can't even tell you. So when you're at a Super Bowl party at the Obama House, do you watch the commercials? Do you care about the commercials? Oh no, is no, no. Game, game. You know, we're like everybody else. Folks, folks write the commercials. Yeah, you do. Yeah, people. But yeah, we have, right? but, but okay. basically, we have sort of three ways that we we do the Super Bowl. We have the okay. serious watchers, yes, and that's the treaty room where you got to be. If you're in that room, you're watching the game. Watch the game. Then yes. there's the outside room where the kids are, where they're kind of fooling around. They're by the food, and then there's we keep the, them away. Then okay. there's the what I call the champagne room. Uh huh. That's What's where my there? mother sits. Where you really don't know what's going on, but you're close to the champagne. <laughs> no, that's where grandma wild. is. It's like, they hear oh, some it's, shouting it's and like, oh, must, something must happen. People I, come out of the I champagne I was wondering, room. when do we start breaking out the six-pack or mixing the martinis? I was wondering at which point does that happen. That's um, starting now. <laughs> that's starting now. Actually, once we get done with this. Okay, we can stop it. Okay, okay. So, American royalty. I mean, this is, this is you know, this is Kate and William, right? I mean, this is, this is the American royalty. you got the media interviewing American royalty. I've said this a thousand times. I hate it so much. 
They are not royalty. This is a bureaucrat. This is a bureaucrat that we pay so that he does a job. And he and his wife are treated like royalty. Well, we got the champagne room. We got the one for the kids. And then we got the treaty room where we all sit around watching football on the taxpayer dime. And then I do an interview with you right here in the Oval Office. And it's just really nice. You know, that's what we like to do. The, the combination of celebrity with, uh, honest to God, Jay-Z and Beyonce could be president and, and, and first lady within 15 years. And, and Obama and Michelle could be performing at the Super Bowl. Like, we could have that reversal. That's how far we've gone in terms of celebrity politicians and politician celebrities. And it's gross all the way around. And that's why we're never going to, we may never have a substantive president of the United States again. We may have hit that point. Right? The Super Bowl says a lot about our politics. Because this is how people actually engage with politics. It's in this sort of fashion. With their emotions being manipulated by the media, by advertisers, by the TV they watch, by halftime shows. All of this has an impact on us. And then when it comes time to vote, how many people are actually worried about Common Core when it comes time to vote? How many people are actually concerned about Barack Obama's policy on ISIS versus how many people say, well, look at them. They're such a charming couple. They seem like such a nice people. I mean, look, they're, they're sitting there talking about what normal people they are. It's just like, you, it's just like when you go to, to Us Weekly and you see, you see Us Weekly on the stands at the supermarket and it says celebrities. They're just like us. Right? So who's just like us? Let's get those people. It's not good for America. It's not good for the country. We should have our entertainment for sure. I love watching the Super Bowl. It's fun. I enjoy watching it with my pop. But the idea that you're gonna, the, the, the idea that you're going to take that and combine it with politics, and then take politics and combine it with celebrity, this is how you end up with a horribly run country where everybody just abdicates duty to the powerful celebrity in charge. And tomorrow we'll find out which powerful celebrity takes New Hampshire because one of them will, and we will be there with you for that. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.